I don't believe in ghosts, but I do believe in Joan de la Fleur. Joan de la Fleur, the podcast experience. Take two, camera. And here we go now. We've got sound, speed, recording, and action. <gasps> Hello, my darling fans. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Joan de la Fleur, the podcast experience, darlings. Yes, the podcast experience. Can you believe this is the fourth episode, darlings? It's so wonderful to be here with you all. I do so love reminding you of my greatness and my acting with my podcast. And thank you so much for those of you who've written to me at joandelafleur.yahoo.com. It's wonderful to receive so many missives from all of my fans all over the world and even some of you not in this world, according to your emails. Now, I've heard your requests loud and clear, darlings. You're asking me for more singing and acting and performance. And darlings, I do love to give my fans what they're clamoring after. And so today I shall be doing just that. Of course, I'm not a... Of course, I'm not a jukebox per se, darlings. No, of course, I don't take requests. Unless, unless, of course, you wanted me to reenact some of the scenes from my favorite movies, darling. My favorite movies that I myself acted in. Then perhaps I might be persuaded. But until then, I, I am choosing material that challenges my artistic sensibilities, darlings. Yes, yes, indeed. And that is why today I'm going to perform for you a monologue from one of your most popular and excellent forms of entertainment, a reality television program called The Real Housewives of New York, darlings, yes. Now, I've chosen this monologue because, of course, it seems to me that modern audiences love reality television. What is reality about it? I have no idea. I've simply watched a little bit to get a glimpse of what it is that artists are engaging in in modern entertainment. And I particularly liked this monologue delivered by a, a real housewife of New York named Bethany. Now, in this scene, her fiance has died of a drug overdose and she's confronting another friend, a countess, about their experience as friends in the face of addiction and mortality. So of course I loved this monologue because it is the stuff of Shakespeare, of Tennessee Williams, of the great playwrights. One might even go as far as to say with this particular monologue that is as great as Moliere. I did love Tennessee Williams, and while I was alive, I did so wish to work with him. But the role that I was to portray in a film based on a Tennessee Williams play was snatched from my clutches by a younger, dare I say, never, not prettier actress, but one who was, of course, in a relationship with a producer on the film, and so, of course, Ms. De La Fleur lost her role, so... In honor of Mr. Williams, I thought I shall portray Bethany from The Real Housewives of New York instead, darlings, yes. So, in honor of Mr. Tennessee Williams, I give you a monologue from Bethany. Oh, let me try that again. Her name's not Bethany. So, in honor, darlings, in honor of... Yes, darlings, yes. In honor of Mr. Tennessee Williams, 
and some other performers who shall go unnamed for stealing my role. I should like to perform for you, Bethany, from The Real Housewives of New York, season 11, episode, who cares? <laughs> so mad. Do you understand? I did your intervention while my fucking ex-boyfriend, ex-fiancé, died of a drug overdose. And you haven't checked in on me. I did your intervention while my guy died. And you haven't asked how I am. He died. He's in the ground. You haven't. No, you haven't. You haven't. Not once. Well, I've got a lot going on. Come to my field. Cabaret. Fucking Cuban cabaret upstate and cabaret, cabaret, cabaret all day. Life is not a cabaret. It is actually not Watch my daughter sleep. What does that make me? Take a look at yourself. Take a look in the mirror. Look at me. Look at you. You never asked about Dennis, not once. You never asked. No, you never ask. Because every day it's about you. Every fucking day it's about you. Every fucking second it's about you. Because I didn't get you some Because you're an asshole that didn't even come have lunch with us. But you go and you look at your own poster. You don't get it. Do you understand? It was a whole weekend. I took weeks of my life for you. She's being a fucking doormat. She's scared. Yes, she is. Oh, she saved you. Oh, please, I, I, I had lawyers come to your house on a Sunday. I talked with your kids. I sat in your driveway to make sure that you wouldn't get in your car because you nearly cashed your car and killed your friends. You were running in the field in an ugly day, and you had to be taken away in cop cars. And I made sure that they didn't film you so that you didn't ultimately get arrested. You, you left. You left the fucking rehab that I got for you two weeks earlier. Yes, yes, you did. Yes, you did. You left. It was cabaret. You left. You're a sicko. A sicko. For cabaret, you left rehab. I got it for free, and you're sick, and you know what I'm talking about. You didn't ask me once how I was about Dennis. You didn't ask me once. Because you're so up your own fucking ass. I don't even know what's going on. I don't even know what's going on. I don't even know what's going on. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I don't know.
One thing, darlings, that's no good about being a spirit is I don't have makeup to come and touch up my makeup after a, a sort of good bout of crying like that, darlings. Well, Act Two. You know, I like madness. It's rather fun, darlings. Oh, as an actor, of course. <laughs> as an actor. I do mean as an actor, darlings. In real life, it's really rather not fun. It's actually rather painful in life. As you well know, it's painful enough. So I don't wish to invite madness into my personal experience. Trust me, I've had enough. Though my foray into madness was accompanied by copious amounts of alcohol and pills and relationships gone wrong and perhaps a few misleading psychotherapists and some mushrooms and a false guru. But of course, that's a story for another episode, darling. It's a story for another episode. <laughs> I remember when, I remember when I lost my mind. There was something so pleasant about that place. Even your emotions have an echo in so much space. And when you're out there, out there without a care, yeah, I was out of touch. But it wasn't because I didn't know enough, no darlings, I just knew too much. Does that make that you're having the time of your life but think twice that's my only advice oh come on now come on now come on come on Come on now, come on now, come on now, come on, come on now. Who do you, who do you, who do you, who do you think you are? Bless your soul. You really think you're in control? Well, I think you're crazy. I think you're crazy, I think you're crazy, just like me, oh, 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 o
things. Well, that was ever so much fun, wasn't it, darlings? Wasn't it? I have to say, I really greatly enjoyed singing for you all just now, and I really got into another level of the character of Bethany, you know? Oh, how convenient for those lyrics to have been written by men. Of course, it's much easier for a man to be, you know, sort of like, um, how do we say, eccentric. Whereas when a woman goes crazy, well, did I scare you for a minute there, darlings? I did, didn't I? Bear in mind that I'm a ghost. I'm not made of corporeal material, you dimwits, and there's absolutely nothing I could do to actually harm you other than get inside your minds. <laughs> Which, of course, is a great threat since we are talking about madness. Now, while I was alive, I was approximately five feet, four and three quarters inches, and a hundred and four pounds. Or something like that, darlings. Whatever it is that, you know, is important to you. I guess in these days, you, you are more interested in muscle. In which case, I suppose I weighed something more along the lines of 137 pounds. All muscle, darlings, all muscle. But it doesn't matter. The point is, I'm certainly not really a physical threat, darlings. Now... Oh, you know, I understand that the reason this song was composed in the first place is because the two composers, CeeLo Green and Danger Mouse, now, I am a particular fan of Danger Mouse, darlings. Did you know that? Yes, it's true, darlings. You know, I also like a lot of that sort of intriguing music. And he, Danger Mouse, I mean, Danger Mouse is, well, he's very interesting in that he never seems to repeat himself twice, darlings. It's really rather fascinating. Anyhow, I remember reading an article with the two of them where one of them said, you know, it's interesting because as an artist, it feels as though people don't really take you seriously until you're crazy. And then they wrote this song. Well, I rather like this song, darlings. It was really enjoyable to sing. So CeeLo Green or Danger Mouse or Together or Apart. If either of you would like to work with one Joan de la Fleur, Spirit Phantasma from Beyond the Grave, well, darlings, oh, hope I didn't flash you just now. For those of you listening and not watching, I'm wearing an elegant evening gown and... I may just have flashed the camera, but don't worry, we'll bleep that out. This is not suitable for work, darlings, but we are still post-code in our filmmaking, aren't we, darlings? Now, do you know, before I died, before I died, I had a, a wonderful evening with a, a Dr. Rosenhammer, Dr. David Rosenhammer, Daniel Rosenhammer, I don't recall his first name, David Daniel Diedrich... Dartmouth, who knows? Doesn't matter. The point is, I was attending a lovely dinner party and I sat next to this gentleman and it turned out that back in his day, he had been a psychologist who studied insanity and madness and he had conducted a fascinating study that he told me was called, quote, being sane in insane places, quote. Well, as an actress in Hollywood, of course, I understood instantly what he meant, because it often felt that way in life. As though I were the only sane one in an ins in Oh, let me try that again. As if I were the only sane one in an insane place, darlings. So this fascinating study was very interesting. The gist of it is that Dr. Rosenham had eight perfectly quote-unquote normal, healthy individuals. One might wonder how healthy they were if they wished to participate as actors in such a study, but at any rate, they were deemed perfectly sane and healthy people, whatever that means, and they managed to get themselves checked into psychiatric hospitals. And then as soon as they were locked up, or no, not locked up, when it's a psychiatric hospital, you're not 
locked up and you're not incarcerated. What is it called? You're, 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 well, whatever, under psychiatric treatment. As soon as they manage to get themselves locked up for the purpose of our discussion here today, each of these eight persons behaved just normally, as they normally would, like you and I here. Well, rather like you probably is, since I'm an actor and a singer and a ghost, <clears throat> spirit, phantasma. I do forget myself, darlings, to call myself by the non-pedestrian term, but having walked this planet for 117 years every once in a while, life does get a little mundane and a little pedestrian, a little plebeian, as they say. Oh, anyhow. So, back to the study. Do you know, darlings, that none, of the staff at these psychiatric hospitals, not a one ever detected that any of these eight actors were actually sane and healthy individuals. None of them caught on ever. None of them ever caught on, however. Other patients could. The actual crazies in the psychiatric hospital knew that these were not fellow crazies and they even spoke up about it, some of them. <gasps> Isn't that so fascinating, darlings? And so at dinner, during this dinner party with Dr. Rosenham, it was so interesting because he brought up what does it mean to be normal or abnormal? How does an insane individual behave? And how do we mark the difference? You know, raising questions about normality or abnormality is in no way to question the fact that there are some behaviors that are deviant, darlings. Murder is likely deviant, usually, as is, of course, a hallucination. Now, don't worry, darlings, you're not hallucinating me. I am really, truly a spirit and a phantasma, the spirit of Joan Delafleur from beyond the grave coming to remind you of how much you love me, how much you love my acting, and to impart, when appropriate, a bit of advice or interesting discussion on madness and society, darlings. But we must wonder, for example, where do we put those individuals who suddenly believe that the earth is flat? Apparently they've never been on an airplane, or when they're on an airplane, they think that everything is some sort of you know, Truman Show, or like that new show that was just on Amazon, on Freebie, the jury duty show, as if there's a, a group of a hundred people behind that wall over there, or behind this airplane, making it seem as if they're flying over a globe, because they're that important, I guess, as individuals. Well, these are people with great imaginations, or I think should write speculative fiction, darlings. Or, or what about people who believe the end is nigh? Now, darlings, Humans have believed the end is nigh since nearly the dawn of time, as far as any written history seems to portray, or paintings on walls, or any other sort of oral history passed down from person to person to person around the fire. And of course, in some ways, the end is nigh. Like I just mentioned, I'm no longer among the living, although I am in my own way, which means I've confronted at least one version of the end, let me tell you. It's a sad fact of life that all lives shall end. Anyway, I'm likely getting a too... Anyway, I'm likely getting a bit too esoteric now, darlings. Let us move back to the fun realm of things like madness and chaos. That's much more fun than being esoteric, spiritual, or philosopher. Philosopher. Philip, Philip, 
philo, philo, philosophical. <laughs> no, back to Dr. Rosenham and the frightening models that Sir Tennessee Williams is here, sir. He's an American. Well, whatever. We don't have sir, so I'll call him sir out of my own generous heart. Back to Dr. Rosenham and insanity and the frightening model that Sir Tennessee Williams provided for women. And of course, that aspirational model of the Niles Barkley song, the glamorous version of insanity as portrayed by the Real Housewives franchises. And then, of course, there are the sad facts of the matter for the poor and the average. Oh, this is very interesting, darlings. It's very interesting. These are notes from my dinner party with Dr. Rosenham. So you see they're printed on ghostly paper here. I'd just like to read them to you, darling. Dr. Rosenham spoke about the fact that questions of what was normal and what was deviant were certainly worth questioning, but that this was not to deny the existence of the personal anguish that is often associated with mental illness. Anxiety and depression exist. Psychological suffering exists. But normality and abnormality, sanity and Insanity and the diagnoses that flow from them betwixt the two may be less substantive than many believe them to be. Well, as a woman who has roamed this planet for over a hundred years and travelled in the lost space highway in the sort of cavities between space and time, I've been an actress in Hollywood. I've traveled the world, darlings, both alive and dead. Let me tell you, the number of people I would personally call healthy and sane is really rather small. In fact, I would even go so far as to say that much of what we deem as sane or insane is really just about a luck of the draw. Yes, a luck of the draw, darlings, determined by social norms designed to preserve power for those who have power. But of course, I'm not saying anything shocking there, darlings. No, not at all. Now, of course, if you happen to be a person in a position of power and you have a yacht that you would like the phantasma of Joan de la Fleur to come haunt and perhaps I could sing a little jazz, Niles Barkley, for you, well, please do email me at joandelafleurdiahoo.com, darlings. I'll take your application and I shall consider it. Do you know, I do so miss being a member of the elite. I've been alive and I've been not alive. I've been an elite and I've been poor. And let me tell you, the rich have better booze, darlings. Better booze, usually. Anyhow... Back to the Real Housewives of New York. You know, my character in this monologue, Bethany, she's dealing with the addiction and madness of her friend and the lack of gratitude for her assistance, the addiction and death of her fiancé, and into spiraling out of her own frustration with the limitations of the world in which she's forced to comply with societal norms around thinness, womanhood, food, appetite, sexuality, wealth, religion, femininity in general. She, by which I mean Bethany, my character, how do you say? Oh, she loses her shit, darlings. She loses her shit in this monologue. And that's a very exciting and fulfilling and rather, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Satisfying experience 
Have you ever had that, darlings, where, where you've just had the build-up so great, you just had been keeping it in like a can of Coca-Cola or Pepsi, and it's gotten shaken up, and you just can't take it anymore. You shake and you shake and you shake, and then whoo, you open it, and it explodes everywhere, darlings. And there's a certain satisfaction with that explosion. It feels good. Do you know what I mean, darlings? It feels good. Fun. I just love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's so fun, darling. So fun to lose your shit. Of course, in this monologue in which Bethany is being shaken up and then exploding, she is somewhat rather highly preserving societal norms. Now, she doesn't necessarily mean to be harmful to herself or her friend in so doing. She can't help herself. She's been indoctrinated into this culture and by and large, overall, it works for her. Look, she's famous. She's very famous by preserving and upholding this exact culture. And she's done very well for herself. And she should be a model for many people. She's a businesswoman and a mother and she's really rather successful and should be applauded for that. But at the same time, Part of this monologue does uphold certain societal norms. Apparently, society still deems it abnormal to run through the fields in a negligee, to which I say, well, what a pity. Don't you think it probably feels rather wonderful to run through a field in a negligee, to feel the cool breeze coming up, <gasps> up through the bottom of that negligee, and to feel the tall, wet grass as your legs scratch by, and it even scratches a little, but you feel wild and free. It might feel wonderful, darlings. You know, it's really rather more like Aunt Violet in Tennessee Williams' play and later film, Suddenly Last Summer. It... Darlings, don't tell me you've never read... Oops, darlings, it's a weird accent. Darlings, don't tell me you've never read nor seen Suddenly Last Summer. <gasps> well, as soon as you have finished listening to every single episode of mine and following and rating and giving me the highest star rating possible and sharing this with 17 of your closest friends. Please do run, don't walk, in a field, in a negligee, to your nearest library or bookstore to get a copy of Suddenly Last Summer and then go watch the film version or even better yet, see if you can find a local theatre company putting on some Tennessee Williams and go see live theatre. As for the Williams oeuvre, suddenly last summer is, is really rather connected to the Real Housewives of New York, but I don't want to give any spoiler alerts, so until you've read and seen suddenly last summer, and it is a doozy, darlings, it is a doozy, I don't know how much I should even say about the Real Housewives of New York, darlings, but Bethany is really rather like Violet, who is the aunt or mother, she's both, She's one character's mother and the other character's aunt. And Violet uses her own insanity, insanity and her temper tantrum, a moment of losing her mind regarding proper values, to preserve her power. Now, Bethany, of course, assumes that her values are proper values. And her friend, I believe, is a duchess or a countess and a performer. That particular character also believes that her values are the proper values, but isn't that just the way we all are, darlings? Just for example, I believe that my values, Joan Delafleur's values, are the appropriate values. But of course, after I died, a lot of those values changed, darlings, because dying and then being relegated to roam the earth as a spirit really does give you a different sense of one's own values and moral integrity, darlings. Well, 
it's an opportunity for you now to watch or read Suddenly Last Summer and think about my monologue as Bethany from The Real Housewives of New York and think about your own values, determine your own values, darling. And here you thought you were just watching trash television, huh? No, darlings, no. Do you know, Bethany's temper tantrum is really to preserve, yeah, Bethany's temper tantrum is to preserve her own status quo. She's saying, you should care more about the way things are supposed to be according to my idea of the world and care more about me and what I stand for than pursuing your own heart's desires. So you see, darlings, why I chose this monologue to perform for you all. And I ask you, where is the status quo that you are consciously or subconsciously holding up rather than pursuing your own heart's desires, darlings? Hmm, it's a wonderful question to pose oneself, isn't it? My heroes had the heart to lose their lives out on a limb. And all I remember is thinking, I want to be like them. Mm -hmm. Ever since I was little, ever since I was little, it looked like fun. And there's no coincidence I've come. And I can die when I'm done. But maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm crazy. Oh, probably. Well, what do you think, dear listener? Be sure to give me five stars and invite all of your friends to a listening party. <gasps> do you know I have suddenly an idea for a very fun drinking game? You could do a drinking game called the Joan de la Fleur drinking game, where every time you remember how wonderful I am, you'll take a shot or a sip of your drink. But of course, you'd be really rather drunk in the first few moments, darlings. <laughs> So perhaps you would start with a glass of milk and get something good for your bones, because let me tell you, once you die, well, you'll wish that you had had some more fortification in your bones, darling. You want to be strong. Prevent that as long as you possibly can, yes. Well, darlings, until next time, you've been listening or watching another episode of Joan de la Fleur, the podcast experience. I don't believe in ghosts. But I do believe in Joan de la Fleur. Get your martinis shaken before next week's stirring episode.